This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do come tonight before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, asking... Uh, now for your guidance and for your uh, enabling power uh, as we look at the passage before us in your word and as we consider the truth uh, revealed here, Lord, I ask that you enable me to speak the message that you would have delivered here. Please grant clarity. Please grant uh, accuracy that... um, I may bear testimony concerning you faithfully. Lord, please enable all of us to hear what you are saying to us, what your word is revealing to us. Open our hearts to receive. Draw us close to yourself. And may, Lord, we treasure you above all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to um, wrap up this little book, this little study here. Um, and before I start, I'm going to ask if there are any, any questions or, uh, or even comments, observations, or maybe something that uh, God has spoken to your heart while we've been, been going through here. Um, Anybody? Any questions? Anything? Okay. No? All right. Everybody's got a good handle on Habakkuk and his prophecy, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's a short, short book, uh, but I think powerful book. Um, as we saw, starts with uh, complaints. And, and this, again, is... is uh, the nature of this this book, the nature of this revelation, uh, it's it's dialogue between God and God's man, Habakkuk the prophet and Yahweh, the one true living God, a God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, um, well, the one and only God, and so th- it's unique in that sense that it's given to us in the form of dialogue, and it begins with Habakkuk complaining uh, about. Uh, Unchecked evil in the world, what, what he sees to be unchecked uh, evil in the world, a corruption in his own society among the people of God. And then as we move through the book, we saw that um, God enlightens him to uh, uh, some other things that God is doing among the nations and how he's going to bring judgment through the Chaldeans, bring judgment upon Israel through the Chaldeans. And so then we have Habakkuk uh, wrestling with that idea. God, how can you use a wicked people like the Chaldeans to destroy or bring judgment on a people uh, more righteous than themselves? And so, so then he's grappling with that. First, he's, he starts out with just corruption in his own society, and now he's looking at the bigger picture, and he's still not understanding how God, who is holy, can tolerate such evil. And the Lord answers basically uh, by saying, I'm sovereign. 
I'm in control. And in the end, all things will be made right. That's great, great hope for you and I. All things will be made right. There's, there's coming a day uh, when all things will be made right. That ought to give us great uh, joy and, and uh, provide for us great strength. We hear of so many atrocities on a daily basis. Some committed in the name of religion, some in the name of politics, some just, you know, senseless, not in the name of anything other than just absolute selfishness. And we're bombarded day in and day out uh, with evil in this world. And we've got it relatively good in our society. Um, you know, we don't, we don't live under some kind of uh, totalitarian regime or something like that. We don't, we don't live under uh, uh, some kind of uh, government or uh, regime that is hostile toward Christianity, as many Christians do. Uh, so we've got it relatively good. And, and we still look around us every day and see evil. So one of the, one of the messages of this book is, is that there's coming a time when God's glory will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Matter of fact, the knowledge, he says, of God's glory will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. There's coming a time when all things will be made right. Now, this, this is great news for us. It was great news for Habakkuk because God is laying out for him trouble that he has yet to go through. He's telling, telling him, Habakkuk's already complaining, complaining about the uh, trouble he's living in the midst of. And, and God is telling him there's more coming. There's more on the way. Not unlike, by the way, Jesus teaching to his disciples uh, that they too would suffer. The servant is not greater than the master. And Jesus said if they, and again a lesson for all of us, Jesus said if they hated me, they, they'll hate you. They called me. Uh, the devil, Beelzebub, then, then they'll do the same with you. A servant's not greater than his master. In John 16:33, he says, In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So, we, we live in the midst of trouble, and as long as God permits us to stay here, there's more trouble on the way. But there's coming a day when all things will be made right. The question for tonight is this, and this is how, how we're going to wrap this up the way that Habakkuk does here. Um, again, try to put yourself in, in his place for a moment. And you are, you are, here's Habakkuk. He's concerned about his own nation. He's, he's interceding, praying to God about the, uh, the, uh, Evil in his own society, interceding for them. And God answers his prayer by saying, your land's going to be destroyed. You and your people are going to be taken away in captivity to a foreign land. And this is my judgment upon the land of Israel. And there's going to be a, a, a period of captivity where you are held um, prisoner, essentially, in a foreign land. So Habakkuk has all of this to look forward to, not exactly um, uplifting news. 
Now, here's the question for tonight, for Habakkuk. With everything that's coming, is God enough? And what I mean by this, by that is this. If you, if you lose everything that is familiar to you, Everything that you are uh, used to, we we was, you know we talk about our comfort zone. So everything, everything that makes you comfortable, and gives you um, that feeling of security, being at home. If all of that is taken away, is God enough? Is God enough to, to face that? Is God enough to get through that? Is God enough to look forward to beyond that? In the world, when, when Jesus said things like, in the world you have tribulation, it's, it's a cue to not be in love with this world or the things of this world. Because here there's trouble. Here there's hardship. So is, is God enough? Well, let's, let's read this passage and then I want to look at some others. And I'm going to go back again to verse 16 because this is where he's, Habakkuk is contemplating the news that he's been given. All the, uh, Revelation that God has given him. What is going to take place? He remember he sought the Lord. In fact, if you look for a moment back in chapter two, verse one, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. The picture there is of a of a watchman up in a tower on the wall looking out. And, and that's, Habakkuk says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. I'm awaiting God's answer. And here in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, that was before. Now, this is after. God has spoken. And he says, when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice of Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people who will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Um, Incidentally, that's not elevated shoes in verse 19. He will make me walk on my high hills. It's talking about mountains, hills surrounding uh, Jerusalem there. Uh, So first of all, 
Habakkuk's fear in verse 16, when I heard. He said, I'm going to set myself, I'm going to watch, I'm going to listen to see what he will say to me, how he will answer me, how God will answer my complaints, really what they were. And God spoke, as we talked about, and said, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring judgment on the land of Israel. I'm going to raise up, in fact, already raising up the Chaldeans. And they're going to come in and they're going to waste the land. They're going to destroy Israel. And then you read through chapter 3 and he goes on to talk about how he's eventually going to destroy them as well. He's going to bring judgment upon them as well. And so Habakkuk says in verse 16, when I heard, I was afraid. He had an anxiety attack, right? My body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself. I mean, he's, he's afraid, visibly shaken at the news that God has brought to him concerning judgment on his people. He fears the days ahead because God has shown him or announced to him uh, that judgment is imminent and it's going to be severe. Then verses 17 through 19, and, and, and this, this is a, an awesome uh, declaration here or resolution, Habakkuk voices. Though the fig tree may not blossom. Now, now again, remember the scenario I kind of mentioned a little earlier. Every, everything that makes you comfortable, everything that you're familiar with is gone. All uh, material prosperity or, or even that uh, feeling of security, possessions, gone. Is there any place for joy, for happiness to be found in such a situation? Well, yes, he does have joy. Habakkuk's joy. Verse 17, Though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's, again, Yahweh. I will rejoice in Yahweh, the God of Israel. I will joy in the God of my Salvation. Here's, here's a man who's, well, he's, he's going to be put to the test here. Where is your, your treasure? Is it in the things of this world? Is it, is it in comfort? False feeling of security with familiar surroundings? Is it in um, prosperity, possessions, 
And I'm not necessarily talking about uh, being rich, but I mean, you, you look at Habakkuk's description here, he's just, talk, he's just describing having what you need day by day. The fruit of the fig tree, the fruit of the vines, the labor of the olive, um, the fields yield no food. He's talking about what we call bare necessities. The flock is cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stall. Everything that they need for the bare necessities, gone. He's saying if it's gone, if it's taken away, yet, he says, I will rejoice. Now, how do you find, how do you rejoice in, in a scenario like that? Well, because he's finding now that his true treasure is not those things. He starts out at the beginning of the book as, as and this is rightfully so. He, he, he's interceding for his society, but he, he starts out praying for some kind of restoration there. God, do something because we're going down. And the Lord's answer is, yes, you're, you're going down. I'm going to bring you down. You're going to be utterly destroyed and removed from the land. All is lost. Yet, Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in Yahweh, the living God, the God of Israel. What makes you happy? What makes me happy? Now, now think about that for a minute, because I don't want to get too overly uh, spiritual here with the word joy and rejoice. <laughs> He's t- He's talking about being happy, content, satisfied. Or you could use joyful, which is the term he uses, joy. Can you be happy in that kind of situation? Where all of a sudden everything is radically changed. And you don't even have daily necessities. You don't even have food on the table. Yes, because he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. That is, uh, he has a reason to be happy. He has a reason to have joy in the person of God. He, he, he finds joy in God, in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Read you just a little bit here of uh, Job. Another one that uh, went through this test of losing material things, and in Job's case, uh, also family. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Remember that. Seven sons, three daughters. Ten kids. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. 
so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. That is, Job was rich. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He was regularly interceding for his children. Godly man. Feared God and shunned evil. Now there was a day, Job 1.6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came along with them, came, came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You see what Satan's doing. He says, you've made Job a rich man. He has great possessions. Take that away, and he'll curse you to, to your face. And so the Lord gives Satan permission to strike his possessions. Verse 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking Wine in their oldest brother's house. Now, this moves kind of fast, so uh, hang on here. Verse 14, And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. All the oxen, donkeys, possessions, in other words, uh, gone. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another, this is number three, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking... Number four, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, 
shaved his head, he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's astounding, isn't it? All of a sudden, apparently in one day, seems to be happening here in one day. It's happening fast. One servant's coming, reporting the bad news. While he's speaking, another comes. While he's speaking, another comes. While he's speaking, another comes. All the flocks, the herds, gone. Fourth time. All the children, gone. Children children that Job was interceding for regularly. He loved them. And his response was worship. Worship. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Is God enough in the day of calamity? For Job, yes. For Habakkuk, yes. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. When there's nothing to rejoice about. When there's nothing to be happy about. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my Salvation. Well, one sure way to avoid that kind of joy, miss out on it, is to be in love with the things of this world. rather than the Lord. So there's Habakkuk's fear, Habakkuk's joy, and now Habakkuk's strength. Verse 19, The Lord God is my strength. So there's, there's joy in the midst of calamity, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of this evil world and all of the bad things that are, are happening around Habakkuk and all the bad things that are about to happen. And some of it, uh, at least, is, is uh, God bringing judgment on Israel. And with all of that in view, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And here's, here's the, I would say the secret to that, but it's no secret, it's revealed, it's right here. He says, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Now, here's, here's the thing that amazes me. I guess we, we have testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of the sufficiency of God's grace in trial and in tribulation. Yeah, here's just two we're looking at tonight. That of Job and of Habakkuk. Or you could, you could add Jesus 
own testimony in there. I quoted John 16:33 earlier. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. You could throw Paul in there. Paul prayed to the Lord three times to be delivered from a thorn in the flesh. It's a metaphor for uh, what Paul calls a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And if I understand that correctly, he's talking about a, a demonic, uh, a demon or demons, demonic power that just stirred up trouble everywhere practically that Paul went. The word messenger there in that passage is uh, the same word that's translated angel uh, in other places, angelos. Paul says it's a messenger of Satan. And he says, I, I, I besought the Lord three times to remove it. And the Lord came back three times with the same answer. My grace is sufficient for you. God is my strength, Habakkuk says. God is my strength. He uh, is our joy in the midst of trouble. And He's our strength, a rock that we can stand on. Habakkuk calls Him uh, that, uh, again, back... uh, Back in chapter 1, verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. That's, that's a common, uh, commonly used uh, way of referring to God. Rock, fortress, strong tower. God is our our rock. He's our help in time of need. Psalm 121.2, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from Yahweh. Strength to endure uh, is only in the Lord. God is my strength. God is my strength. And then lastly, Habakkuk's hope. Again, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on my high heels. Now, that's, that's poetry. Um, interesting that he would use that here. If you look back at uh, Psalm 18... And if you go there, hold your place here, but uh, probably, probably in Habakkuk's mind as he's, as he's writing this, whoop, went a little too far there. And you'll notice the language here is very similar. In fact, look at verse 1, Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's various ways of saying there, God is my strength. He strengthens me to stand. And then you get down to uh, 
verse 31. Psalm 18:31. For who is God except the Lord? Again, Yahweh. And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. Now, here, here the psalmist is using all of this uh, uh, war terminology. God is my shield and my stronghold. And he's talking about facing enemies. God is my strength. And then he winds up saying, He makes my feet like the feet of deer. And at least what comes to my mind, and I looked at other uh, ideas too, but at least what comes to my mind first is sure-footed. Sure-footed. And in David's case, in the psalmist's case, when, in, in talking about facing the enemy, he's, he's able to elude the enemy on the rocks, on the high hills, because God makes His feet like deer, swift and sure-footed. Always amazes me how a, a you know, like you see a, a deer at nighttime or something, and Sometimes full speed and cross the road or whatever and in the woods. and I mean, you know, if that was me, I'd, I'd, I'd it'd be bam into a tree and fall out. <laughs> and they don't do that. And I don't know how well they see at night, but even if they see very well, moving that fast, you've got to be pretty good. Fences, vines, trees... Rocks, high hills, they're sure-footed. Now, we had a... This is, I have to use a, something I can relate to personally here, too, because I've never had a pet deer. Um, not as graceful and beautiful as a deer, but, but sure-footed. We, we, we had a donkey, and uh, it's fascinating how... Similar donkeys are to horses, and yet how different they are. Fascinating. You know, they, they use donkeys in the canyons because they're so sure-footed. And, and they, they don't mind walking along ledges and stuff that horses don't want to go near. And we had a, a, we had a gelding. And that's why we had the donkey, because they were good friends. That's a long story, but... They, they, they really did like to play. I mean, it was like two dogs wrestling or something. I mean, they'd bite each other and chase each other, and it was, it was crazy. But then we had a, a mare, and uh, she hated the donkey. And the donkey hated her. It was, it was mutual. And she, if the donkey got too close to her and all that, you know, she'd, she'd go after it. And, of course, biting it and everything. Well, we had a storm th- come through one time, and a, a tree fell right out in the middle of our horse pen, and so there's, there's this big oak tree. It was, a, it was a big tree. Big oak tree on the ground with all these branches and stuff sticking everywhere, right? And horses don't like stuff like that. So they don't, you know, they never go uh, in uh, the tree, you know, in the branches. They always walk around it. They don't, they don't like stepping over branches and things like that. So the donkey, the horse would be chasing it. This mare would be chasing it. 
And what the donkey would do to get away from the mare was jump right over in the middle of that tree. And, you know, in, in the middle of all the limbs and stuff and just stand there. And the mayor would get all frustrated, you know, and eventually walk off, and then the donkey would come out. <laughs> sure-footed. Sure-footed. He will make my feet like deer's feet. Now, this is, this is not a, a war scenario. He's not, he's not talking about battling the Chaldean. That's one reason I said it's kind of interesting that he uses that uh, piece of that psalm. He's not talking about battling the Chaldeans here. God's not telling him, go fight the Chaldeans. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's saying you're going to have to submit to them, and they're going to take you away into captivity. Where the psalmist is, is using all this war terminology and talking about how he's got to deal with the enemy, and God's going to make my feet like deer's feet. I'm going to be swift, sure-footed. So why does Habakkuk use it? Well, I think, again, it's the idea of being sure-footed. I think... It's just the idea of God's not going to allow me to slip. God's going to keep me. What, whatever I have to walk through in this world, um, God's going to keep me. He's going to make my feet like deer's feet so that I can traverse whatever calamity I'm faced with. And He will make me walk on high heels. That is, ultimately, He's going to raise me above it. So it's an expression of, of hope. He starts out here in this part. He starts out in verse 16, literally trembling. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered, rottenness entered my bones. It's like he could, he could feel the decay because of the seriousness of the revelation of God. Imminent judgment. And then God's grace. It's kind of like in those movies where, you know, somebody's, uh, somebody's panicking and somebody else grabs them and starts slapping them in the face. You know, get a hold of yourself. Verse 17 is like that. And it's like, it's like all of a sudden he, he comes to his senses. He's, he's trembling, quivering, shaking. And then he says, wait a minute. Though the world falls apart around me, I'll rejoice in the Lord. God is my joy. I'll endure by the grace of God. God is my strength. And ultimately, God's going to make me walk on high heels. He's He's going to raise me above all of this. So, while I'm in the midst of calamity, I have this hope. That God is my salvation. That He'll bring me through it. And that eventually all things will be made right. For now, he's saying in verse 16, For now I must prepare, I must wait patiently to endure hardship. I've got to wait for the onslaught of the enemy. That comes across a little clearer uh, in the New American Standard Version. Verse 16, he says, I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Nope, sorry, that's the same one. And in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. 
There he's saying, I've got to wait patiently for distress to come upon me, for the invasion to come upon me. But now he's looking beyond that, saying there's hope because God is my salvation. And in the end, he's going to raise me above it all. He's going to get me through it by his grace. I'll be sustained, I'll endure and overcome. In the world, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus says. That's, that's incredible, isn't it? In the world, you're going to have tribulation. And that's when, you know, it's like on an airplane that's going down. That's when all of us want to say, okay, everybody, assume crash mode, you know, or panic mode. And everybody begins to scream. In the world, you have tribulation. But he says, no, don't panic. Don't, don't despair. Be of good cheer. Rejoice in the Lord. God is your strength. God is your hope. He will make me to walk on high heels. Or Jesus says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Habakkuk starts out this book complaining. And uh, <clears throat> distressed. And here we are at the end of it. And he, like Job, is worshiping and looking to God for help and hope. God is our joy. Ultimately, to endure here, God must be our treasure. God is our strength. He will enable us to endure. Endure. We can say we could. We we could run ourselves crazy trying to figure out how will I get through this world, especially if things get worse. God is my strength, and God is our hope. So, look, look beyond the calamity, look beyond the trouble, look beyond the tribulation. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. So, yeah, you have tribulation here now, but I've overcome the world. So, look beyond it and know that there's hope. All things will be made right. If you would, y'all can come on and prepare and... And uh, just um, as we observe the Lord's Supper, Supper, which is a reminder of our hope, uh, just be conscious of the fact that all, all of this, all of what we said, rests on the work of Christ, His sacrifice for us. In other words, we can translate everything that Habakkuk is saying here concerning joy, strength, hope, and translate it to Jesus. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our hope. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. 
Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.